0: Welcome to Come and Reason with Christian psychiatrist and author, Dr. Tim Jennings. Together we will reason through complex issues to find evidence-based answers that harmonize scripture, science, and our life experiences. I'm your Come and Reason host, Charles Mills. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. No one likes to be rejected. Makes you feel kind of worthless, doesn't it? Today, Dr. Jennings is with us via Skype to recall three times in the past when the people of God rejected God. How did they do that? And what happens when you do that? Let's find out. Dr. Jennings, what do we need to know?
1: We're looking in the scripture and we're looking at ancient Israel. Mm -hmm. And ancient Israel was selected by God to be his agents, the family through which the Messiah would come for the purpose of fulfilling the Genesis 3.15 promise that the seed or the descendant of Adam and Eve would come and crush the serpent's head and save the human species. And the Old Testament is the outworking of that promise of Genesis 3.15. And we see the Bible focus narrowing down from Adam's whole family down into Abraham's family, but not all of Abraham's family. So we don't focus on Esau's descendants. Mm -hmm. We don't focus on Ishmael's descendants. We focus on Jacob's descendants who became Israel. So we're looking at the children of Israel. The children of Israel are real historical people, and we read about Gideon and Samson and David. These were people who really lived, and, and they really did the things. This is not fantasy. This is not uh, Shakespeare. This is the Bible recording real lives of real people, and then these lives are, are recorded because they not only keep the focus on the plan of salvation, but much of what happened in Israel is recorded as object lessons to teach the larger reality of of the plan of salvation. For instance, we know Jesus, it says, uh, John the Baptist tells us that Jesus is the lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Mm -hmm. And so there was a feast that the Israelites would celebrate called the Passover. And at the Passover, the lamb was slain and the blood was placed on the doorpost and they would eat the meat of that animal. It was cooked and it was part of that with some bitter herbs. and, And Jesus came as our savior and that all symbolized Jesus' dying as our Savior, and he died on Passover Friday, the exact fulfillment of that festival that they they acted out every year. And the, instead of being placed on the doorpost, Jesus said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no part with me, John chapter 6. So symbolically, the flesh, Jesus is the Word made flesh. We, when we take in the truth of what Jesus revealed, we are taking in the word, and the words become building blocks in our minds and hearts that win us and displace the lies that we believe in with truth and win us to trust, and we open the heart, and the life is in the blood, and we receive the life of Jesus, so it's no longer I that live. This is all acted out in Israel in symbols that we partake of in reality when we come to know Jesus and trust him and experience his living presence in our life. So this is just a simple example of why we're looking at ancient Israel, because in their history, the real thing. That happened to them. There are lessons for us, mm-hmm. and so the first rejection where Israel rejected God in three different places. We're going to look at the first one is Israel rejected God's plan for their diet. Mm. Uh, he's led them out of of Egypt. He is feeding them manna, heaven's bread, but they begin craving meat. And in Exodus sixteen, you can read about how they were complaining and crying for the flesh pots of Egypt. So because of their distrust of God and their insistence of going their own way, how God operates, he leaves people free, doesn't force them. So God gave them what they desired, and he sent them quail. Mm. And they gorged themselves on the quail to the point that many of them died from overeating and gorging themselves. There's a lesson here. God provided bread from heaven. They preferred dead animal flesh. Mm and they suffered the results. What's the object lesson here? There's a lesson in two regards. Jesus said in the New Testament in John 6, he is the bread that has come down from heaven. So the man also symbolically represented Jesus. They exchanged the bread of heaven for the flesh of dead animals. We can do that when we exchange the bread of heaven. We exchange Jesus Christ and substitute any other, quote, soul food or food designed to Feed our souls with anything that this earth has to offer instead. Mm-hmm. And they died of doing that. And if we substitute any other God, whether it's money, whether it's power, whether it's fame, whether it's TV, whether it's uh, whatever it is, we substitute anything for Jesus, we will also die, but we'll die eternally. That's the first lesson that they rejected the bread of heaven and went for the flesh of the dead.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Second lesson is a physiological one. Since they did insist on eating animals, God met them where they were. And you can read in the Old Testament that he gave them a long list of various animals that could be eaten and and were not to be eaten. And then if they decided to eat the animals, for instance, a cow or a chicken was on the list that they could eat, or a lamb or a goat was on the list. The instructions are very explicit. You can read about this in Leviticus 11. They were to drain out all the blood, cut out all the fat, and cook the protein Too well done, Mm -hmm. which means that if they decided to eat meat, they were simply to eat the pieces of protein of basic herbivores, and Mm -hmm. this would be least damaging to them. Mm -hmm. And this is why the ceremonial laws were given to them. They were not to eat blood and they were not to eat fat. And in fact, in the system, blood and fat represented sin. Now, it's true for the Christian, the ceremonial laws were done away with at the cross. So you can eat anything you want, and you will not be ceremonially unclean. But it is not true that the laws of health were done away Mm, with at the cross. Yes. So not only were there ceremonial elements being taught in these systems, there were physiological health principles, and God was protecting them from harming themselves. And we now know that if you eat bloody, fatty meat, you significantly worsen your health, increasing uh, cholesterol problems, heart disease, cancers, and so forth. And so the the second way we can fail to follow God's guidance is by engaging in unhealthy lifestyle practices that cause us to experience more diseases. And as we are more uh, sick and diseased, we are less fit to fulfill the purpose God has called us for and his usefulness. And this is a strategy of God's enemy. If he can't get you to choose evil and get you sick, where even though you want to do good, you're not able to do it. Yes,
0: yes, yes.
1: So first rejection was they rejected God's plan for their diet. Mm -hmm. Second rejection is they rejected God's plan for the occupation of the promised land. God and I'm going to read to you out of Exodus 23, after, right after they walk through the Red Sea and he's taking them to Sinai, God says, here's the plan. And I'm going to read it to you. Here's, here's God's plan for the occupation. I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. I will send the hornet ahead of you and drive out the Hivites and the Canaanites and the Hittites out of your way. I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and wild animals too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. Notice God had a method. Yes. If they trusted him, he would slowly cause the peoples who lived there to abandon the land and leave it free for the people of Israel, the, the Jewish nation to occupy it. God had a nonviolent plan for them mm-hmm. to occupy the land. God knows the horrible damage that people experience in war, in conflict, in fighting. And God doesn't want one human being to kill another human being. Mm-hmm. Even the victors in war suffer and are traumatized by their participation in combat. True. God did not want his people to fight their way through into this new world. Because even so doing, it would damage them. And thus, the Bible tells us that in this world, we are not to wage wars. The world does. The weapons we use are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish every argument and pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and take captive every thought to make it obedient to Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. The method that God wants us to use is truth, love, freedom in a faith relationship with him. That is the purpose, and that is the goal. Every single human being is caught up in this larger spiritual war for hearts and minds, and one of Satan's tricks is to get good people, people called by God, people who are on a mission from God, like the Jewish people were called out of Egypt, called to go to the promised land, they were on a mission from God. One of his tricks is to get people to exchange the methods of God for the methods of Satan in pursuing the purpose of God. Mm-hmm. And what did Satan do? He got the people to insist on becoming violent and going to war, and then God met them where they were, and God said, well, if you're going to insist and not trust me, if you're going to go to war, then let's have the least numbers of people harmed by war, and God lives outside of time. So he's not looking at just the next five years. He's looking at the next 3,000 years. Yes. And all the people who'd be born and all these different people down the line. And he said, so if you're going to do it your way instead of my way, then wipe them out completely. And we will have the least numbers of people harmed by war. Mm -hmm. Least numbers of people killed by war. Least number of people traumatized by war. And we'll have a land where we will not live in perpetual war. But they wouldn't even trust him with that. No, they would not. So we've had a perpetual war zone where essentially every generation has been harmed by war, okay? Mm -hmm. And so the people of God today are being tempted with the same trick, to advance godly goals with worldly methods as we approach the second coming of Christ, some godly pursuit of justice, saving lives, making something better, but instead of trusting God and practicing his methods, the trick or the trap is to, to do it with force, power, and coercion. And then the last rejection, Israel rejected God's plan for leadership. God was leading them, after the promised land, he set up some judges. He had, he had prophets, Samuel, but they wanted kings. Mm-hmm. And so God sent a warning to them that if you had human kings, they're going to tax you. They're going to take your daughters. They're going to put your men in military. They're going to take your land, the best for themselves. God did not want them to have human kings, but they insisted on having human kings. And of course, what happened was power corrupted the human kings, and it was a gross betrayal of the principles of God and the leading into apostasy and so forth and so on. And this is Satan's method of government. Jesus' method of government was he did not think equality with the Father was something to be grasped, but he surrendered himself to the form of a servant all the way to the cross, sacrificing himself to uplift those without power. Satan, it says in Scripture, sought to ascend on high, to exalt himself above the throne of God, to sit on the powers of the north, to ascend above God, to become like the Most High. Satan's method is to lord over others, With a few ruling elites to use power to exploit the masses for the advantage of the elites. And God's method is to have God provide and sacrificed himself for the uplifting of the masses. And in God's system of leadership, he was constantly providing with manna, with miracles, with healing, with oversight, with protection, giving of his energies without requiring anything to lift him up, he gave of himself to lift us up. And so one of the strategies, again, what we wanna learn is that we do not advance God's cause by pursuing the few ruling elites to rule over the masses for the exploitation of the masses.
0: You know, as I hear you say these things, and I'm writing them down here on the piece of paper, I realize that... We face these same challenges. We, we face the, the challenge of diet, uh, what we're told from all around us, what's good for us, and what the Bible says, and they're very much at odds sometimes. The occupation of the promised land. We have to choose how we're going to fight our battles. Are we going to have God do that for us? Or are we supposed to just step out from behind God and do it ourselves? And then leadership. Who are we following? Who is our leader? How do we choose leaders? We have to make these same decisions that the children of Israel did and the ancient Israel did in their time. Am I right in saying that? Well, you're exactly
1: right. And, and the, the difference here, of course, is that when we're primarily talking about choosing our leader for our lives, mm-hmm. we're not talking about human governments. Yes. And when Israel rejected God as their leader, they set up a human-style government with few ruling elites taxing and exploiting the masses. This was not—so ancient israel would you read in the Old Testament and the way those governments worked? That was not what God plan for them. That was a human style government. God was still faithful to work through his loyal people like Elijah and Elisha and those who would be faithful to him. But the system of government you see in the Old Testament, it was not what God intended
0: for them www.commonreason.com is the website. This program is sponsored by Come and Reason Ministries. Dr. Jennings has been with us via Skype. Dr. Jennings, thank you for your leadership on our behalf. Thank you so much. Thank you, Charles. And listener, until next time, this is Charles Mills, along with Dr. Tim Jennings, wishing you God's presence in your life. Goodbye, everyone. Thank you for spending time with us today. To continue the journey, I urge you to visit comeandreason.com. Here you'll find many excellent resources to help you gain a deeper understanding of the God we all love and serve. That's at comeandreason.com. This is Charles Mills along with Dr. Tim Jennings inviting you to join us the next time we come and reason together.